People will ask me, do you think this UFO stuff is real? The easy answer is, yes, it's real. I can say that with conviction because of my own sightings and overwhelming glut of evidence. Again, yes, this stuff is real. But I'm at a point where I struggle with what the word real actually means. To me, what might be real has become just as slippery as the overall mystery itself. So much of what I'm looking at plays out as theatrical or absurd or beyond the edge of comprehension. What might be real becomes so abstract that it leaves me questioning the source of all existence. The word real is the first for letters of reality, and my definition of that crumbled ages ago. Hello and welcome, I'm Douglas Bowles, and this is 42 Minutes, a weekly conversation with the interesting artists and thinkers of our day. A production of SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. You can find our archives at 42minutes.com and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. It's Tuesday, May 2nd, and today for 42 Minutes we'll try and discern the connection between owls, UFOs, and synchronicity and we'll do so with the individual who wrote the book, Mike Quellen. Cleland is an avid outdoorsman, illustrator, and UFO researcher. He has written extensively on the subject of alien abductions, synchronicities, and owls. It was his first-hand experiences with these elusive events that have been the foundation for his research. His website, hiddenexperience.blogspot.com, explores these events and their connections to the alien contact phenomenon. This site also features extended audio interviews with visionaries and experts examining the complexities of the overall UFO experience. Back in the winter of 2015, he published The Messengers, Owls, Synchronicity, and the UFO Abductee, wherein he collected a wealth of first-hand accounts in which owls manifest in the highly charged moments that surround alien contact. There is a strangeness to the accounts that defy simple explanations. His book explores implications that go far beyond what more conservative researchers would dare consider. But the owl connection encompasses more than the UFO experience. It also includes profound synchronicities, ancient archetypes, dreams, shamanistic experiences, personal transformation, and death. From the mythic legends of our ancient past to the first-hand accounts of the UFO, UFO abductee, owls are playing some vital role. We first hosted Mike on this program back in the summer of 2014 for episode 146. It's a pleasure to be welcoming him back this morning. How are you doing today, Mike? Very good, and this is great being back. Wonderful. So, I, and thank you so much for starting it with that quote about reality and such, because I because I have done a lot of podcasts and stuff over the last year since the book's been published, and and there's this uh, like I'm so eager to like dive well below the waterline, and a lot of uh, sort of people want to keep it well well above the waterline and, and frame it in a way that is um you know that 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 avoids the complexities i guess well it's a pretty complex idea um the reason why i contacted you is because twin peaks is resurfacing but now if we're spot speaking about the waterline they do something with owls and UFOs and synchronicity. Yeah, they certainly do. It's a perfect fit, and and I address that in the book. I'm curious. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out after 
you know, uh, nearly 20 plus years of, you know, fandom and, and kind of, uh, you know, people fawning all over it, you know, so they have, they have, uh, they must have, have that in mind as they, as they prepare this, this follow-up series. But, um, you know, I never had a good answer. So many people would, you know, when I was saying, oh, I'm working on a book on UFOs and owls and synchronicity, they'd say, oh, what up is Twin Peaks? Oh, yeah. The owls are not what they seem. And they said that, like, I'd never heard it before. And, you, you know, and, uh, but the, uh, you know, my sense is that, that uh, David Lynch is a, is a meditator and he's very, very, cautious about where where he says his ideas come from he never really gives those kind of interviews and you know what's the source of his what's his inspiration he doesn't never really share as much but um my sense is that the the owl itself is just such an easy perfect animal so laden with mythology and mystique that's just you know it's a it's an easy animal to to use you know, within their series. And then that series initially came out, I think in 92, if I'm not mistaken, or 91. And that would have been just a, you know, four or five years after Whitley's, well, actually four years, if it came out in 91, it would have been four years after Whitley Strieber's book Communion came out. And that would have been the first real, uh, 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 the first real point in literature or popular literature, let me put it that way, where the, um, the owl was connected directly with UFO contact. So my sense is they, they, the scriptwriters, you know, kind of latched onto that book in a way that book, both that book and twin peaks are very moody, you know, kind of, uh, uh, works of art in a way. Um, and they, they don't really, neither book comes neither the book nor the, the series comes up with, a with like a true answer. There's no real conclusion to either of them. Oftentimes, networks and communities are these kind of uh, entities that exist, but they're beyond or beneath kind of the radar of everyday life. And so with communion, definitely that was kind of a lightning rod where after he said this, this kind of stuff out loud, then all of a sudden people started coming out of the woodwork saying, oh, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. For me, I wonder, I mean, did you have a similar experience with your your owl experience? Well, my initial owl experience, which I think I talked with in depth when, you know, if people want to go back to the archive thing, but it was more like, um, you know, I've told this story so many times and I know it's on that previous episode, so I won't repeat it here, but there was a point in 2006 when I started seeing a lot of owls under very highly charged moments, like a lot of owls, very unusual. And these, I feel very strongly these were not the screen memory that that gets played out in a movie like The Fourth Kind where people are seeing owls but it's actually like some sort of psychic projection for a for a gray alien. I this was not the case. I feel strongly saying that I was seeing real owls, but they were there were so many and I every time I saw them I had the exact same core visceral response in my guts which was basically a voice saying this has something to do with the UFOs. And because of that, I kind of started looking into my own experiences and, and, um, and it, that was the, so the owls were the, um, you know, what would you say the, uh, the, the impetus for actually looking into my, my own experiences. They in, like initiated your whole research thread. That's completely accurate. Yes. They initiated my whole, and the research thread in, even this, I, I consider my research self-research in a way because I'm I feel like I'm struggling with these questions, and um, so it's not like I, it's not like a 
it's not like a deadly dull dry thing that I'm that I'm doing you know for work or for for obligation or anything like that I'm I'm doing it for my own I mean yes it's fascinating but I'm doing it for my own oh you know to try to make sense of these things because because I have been confronted with this mystery and and I'm I'm I've I fully understand that I'm never going to solve it but I just I am I'm hopefully trying to come to a better place of peace within these experiences well so on Twin Peaks they have these these features the owls are not what they seem synchronicity and UFOs and you think well this is quirky and strange you know it, it's it put out in a way that it's it's a fun frame and and it's non-threatening but how far back did, does that kind of lore go well in the UFO world you know it only goes back in the in the uh, like the first person narrative or the research mode, you know I really searched hard, and there may be some references out there. And I in in uh, in because, uh, but if popular reference, it goes to to um, communion. And but before that, it's mentioned fleetingly in a few points. But it does show up in science fiction. It shows up in in uh, literature. It shows up in the mythology. I mean, it goes right back to you know Babylonia if you want to get right down to it. As far as like the 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 uh, the owl as a shape-shifting uh, traveler of the night, you know, there in that in that realm, it was very much treated as a. Um, I mean, the uh, ancient Latin word for owl is witch. So, um, you know, this is, the owls have always had this powerful shape-shifting mystique, uh, oftentimes quite sinister. In fact, I just met this guy from, from uh, I believe he's from the Navajo Reservation. I should be careful. I should figure that out before I, but he, um, a Native American, and, and uh, he, in conversation, realized that I was the guy that wrote about, or was going to talk about owls at, a, at this conference. And he said, oh, you know, we, you know, like when our culture, you know, you know, we refer to the owls as the messengers. And I was like, he had no idea that I had a book. And, and I was like, well, you know, that's good to know because that's the title of my book. And he's like, oh, and and um, and then he said, in our language, the word for owl is the same word as sinister. So yes, so this stuff is is imbued. It's in our bones. I mean, in the Bible, the owl is used as this kind of sinister set piece, the same exact way that it's used in The Bride of Frankenstein, where an owl shows up right at the moment before death, um, where in... in uh, you know, there's a woman that gets killed, and an owl shows up right in the in the fleeting seconds, lands on a you know on a in a barn right before she dies. But this is um, you know, this is the lore, and it seems to have. So my sense is there's a core reason. When I first started working on the book, people would ask me, "So, Mike, uh, what are you doing these days?" And oh, I'm working on a book. Oh, that's interesting. What's the book about? And then I had to I had to say, "Oh, it's about owls." And then I had to do the next thing. I had to really size them up. I'm like, am I going to go there? Am I going to bring up the UFO thing? Because if I do, it's going to be a half hour long conversation and I'm going to try to convince someone of something that's going to sound crazy. And so oftentimes I would just say, oh, it's a book about UFO. Excuse me. It's a book about owl mythology. And they're like, owl mythology. That's really interesting. And then I could have a, you know, very straight 10 minute conversation without introducing any of the ultra weirdness of UFOs. And in, a, in essence, that's the same thing. My, my point is or more, let's say, my premise is that owls have been around, I mean, obviously they've been around as long as mankind has been around. Mankind has always recognized the mysterious power of the owl, and and because of that, these these myths have been built. 
And my sense, these myths have been built for a reason because people were having mystical experiences with owls right, you know, right when they stepped out of the caves. And I, I feel strongly these mystical experiences are still continuing now. They, they seem to be welling up in the guise of the UFO contact experience. You know, we live in this world without shamans and without any reverence for the mystery in, in a way that, that is new in, the, in, in all of human history. So when someone has an owl and UFO experience, they don't have any framework with which to put it. Um, what they do have is a, is a, you know, a smartphone and Google and within a couple, um, you know, mouse clicks, they find me. If you Google UFOs and owls, they, they find me. So I have been the receiver of people coming to me saying like, I've had this story. I've had this really powerful story and I need to share it. And, um, it's a little overwhelming at times, but I have, you know, I've been collecting and archiving these stories. Oh, that was a long, that was a long answer. I'm not sure, even sure what the question was. At this point, <laughs> well, uh, to add more to one of the other features of your title, you tell a story in the book about a Na Navajo policeman uh, that I thought was really amusing. Could you explain that situation? There was these two uh, Navajo cops, basically, and they—they, they, I think one of them is retired, or they're both retired, and then they—they they have been. Um, so the Navajo reservation is—it's um, a sovereign nation within the United States, so they have their own police force, and because of that, they're not really beholden to the to the traditions of the rest of America's police force. So they, you know, when someone calls and said they've had a they have had a UFO experience, you know, they go there and treat it culturally with the same, you know, they, they're not dismissive of it. You know, they, they recognize the traditions within the, the, their nation of the star people and such. So yes, so they have a, they have a very, um, uh, and I think they're working on a book, but they've been giving presentations. So I went up and asked him the question and, and actually he didn't really share much that I, that I hadn't already heard. I said, so what's the, you know, what's, what can you share about the, the mystique or the lore of the owl in your culture? And he said exactly what I expected him to say that, you know, the, the lore is very dark and negative and sinister and they're often treated as an omen and often associated with death. And, you know, culturally his people, uh, f like, f I guess fear owls or, 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 or take them as a very, uh, sinister omen that um, that that might imply someone in the family is going to die. That's on the simplest level. That's that's one of the things. So as we're having this conversation, this girl walks by and she's got a t-shirt on and she's a young woman and she's got it. But it's like one of those t-shirts with t-shirts like where the image like goes all the way from the neck down to the bottom of the shirt and it was a big owl, like a black t-shirt with white ink and a big owl. And she walks by and I was just like, you know, and we both recognized and he kind of rolled his eyes and I said, see what my life is like. This is, this is well, so with with that idea of reality too, there's something about the the symbol that is both a flesh and blood entity that traverses through dimensions that we in our traditional consciousness don't have access to, but that we do. In it's great because you have the maybe people who might actually go there, <laughs> but they're not certain. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? So like with with synchronicity, there's this intuitive level that people grok, I think is the right word, but then our just our scientific materialism really puts a clamp down on the idea that there's anything more than what we can empirically know. Depending on what scientist you talk to, yes. Yes, yes I agree. Exactly. Yeah. And then yes, <clears throat> so you're confronted with something you feel in your gut. 
and your intellect says, you know, don't go there. Well, so the the owl is, I think, a psychopomp, perhaps. You know, so it is both a living thing, but then it is something that tra- traverses levels of reality. It it has access to things. You know, there there are things in this world far stranger than in your philosophy. You know that quote from Hamlet. Sure, yeah, it? from <clears throat> from Hamlet. Excuse me. The um, so you know. An, an owl is a symbol, right? It is a symbol the same way Luke Skywalker is a symbol of the hero. You know, Jesus is a symbol of death and resurrection. And it, so so it is a symbol. It has a archetypal symbolic power. And it, all you need to do is, I mean, on, on, on a silly level, you just Google UFOs mythology. And excuse me, I do this. I do this all the time. <laughs> I say UFO when I mean owl. They're both three-letter words, and I cannot tell you how many times I typed UFO when I wanted to type owl and just the other way around, too. But um, if you Google owls in mythology, you're just going to be flooded, flooded. It's just, it's a bottomless pit, and it's madness to try to to weave and, and pull out the, the, the core narrative. If there's any core narrative at all, it is that owls can see into the darkness, right? So there we have an animal, a physical animal that has a seemingly magical power for a, for a ancient man before the age of the electric light bulb. The fact that this owl can fly through the trees at night in complete darkness is magic. Okay. Now we have science. We say they have, you know, these very large optic, you know, uh, their, their pupil dilates very wide. They're especially skilled in, their, in how they can, you know, see in the dark. So now we have, a, you know, we can explain that away. But at a time that was magic, they it's still remarkable that what they can do at, at night in, in flight. But that ability to see into the darkness and fly into the darkness very quickly turned into flying into other realms, Right, so they're in the darkness. That's the subconscious. That's that's the depths of our own deepest psyche, the darkness. They fly into the darkness, and not only do they go to other realms—the land of the dead, the land of the gods, the land of the ancestors—they then return. So that that's that's the key that they not only go there, but they come back. And then they, if they come back, they 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 have a reason to come back, and that's usually to share a message. Like I. I got a lot of letters before, even before the book came out. Now that the book's out, it's, it's crazy. But before the book came out, people were contacting me, and they would say it straight up, you know, like, "Oh, like there was this owl on my, on on the branch outside my window," and you know, and then it, like, you know, the next sentence they say, "And the messenger told me this amazing thing, and I just realized this is what the power, you know, this is what it was there for." And and oftentimes it was like a life lesson, or a or a or. You know, quite often it was saying they felt strongly that they were saying that a dead relative was okay, but they would just say it straight out without any prompting, without any, like, um, you know, like a degree in philosophy or anything like that. They would just they would refer to the owl as the messenger. You know, the messenger came and sat on my on on my windowsill. So, I feel that that has been going on. I mean, it's going. I mean, obviously, I'm. I'm not an objective researcher, right? So this stuff, I'm very subjective. I want to talk about the owls, this great big mystery of UFOs, and I want to focus on this little tiny corner. And and because of that, um, I have kind of a of a my sense is that that what what people are relating to me is the exact same thing, you know, like an owl landed outside my teepee when I was, you know, when I came in from from you know the hunting 
party. And and that would have a powerful meaning. They that person could walk to the shaman in the village and they could sit around the campfire and they could they could talk about what that might mean in the tradition of their of their people. We don't have that now. And so people are and I'm grasping to try to make sense of it, you know, and but it's been um yeah, it's been fascinating. And my sense is yes, it's it's both physical, there's real owls, real owls are real things, no question about that, but there's also a symbolic and archetypal role that these owls play. You tell another story in the book. Um so you you'd say the the owls are able to fly through the night, but then there's also this idea in mythology, the night sea journey or the night sea voyage. And you tell a story about this pod of orcas behaving in a similar manner. Oh, well that was straight up in the, in the, in the, you, you can just look that, that story up in, in, um, you know, the United press and, um, the, there's an Island off of, I think it's Bainbridge Island right across from Seattle. And the Seattle Museum of Natural History had, I think that's correct, had all these relics that were in essence stolen from the native people of that Bainbridge Island. And, um, and there, you know, it came a point and a, and a deal was brokered and they basically gave all of them back to, to the native people. So they put them on the ferry, right? So there's Seattle. It's right on the, on the, you know, the inlet there on Puget Sound. And on the other side of Puget Sound is, is Bainbridge Island. So the ferry chug, 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 you know, goes across and something unusual happened on the ferry ride where that, that had those native artifacts was that the, 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 um, orcas, like a big pot of orcas, you know, killer whales were swimming around. Now, now killer whales are a very sacred animal in the, in the folklore of that tradition. So, you know, they were swimming around and everyone recognized the same thing on the boat, you know, like the, like the, cause the UPA or the United press did a story. I guess it was the local newspaper did a story and then UP uh, picked it up. Um, they said, you know, they, the, or the, the whales were really playful. They seemed happy. Everyone said that everyone recognized that. And, um, and then the, even the, so here's a straight up story. It's unusual to see a pod of killer whales following the, the ferry and the, they couldn't help but kind of editorialize like, you know, wow, isn't this, doesn't it seem appropriate that on the day that on the very ferry ride that's, that's carrying these things home, like the very dry, you know, just the facts reporters would, would interject these, you know, like, wow, pretty cool, huh? Like it, it really happened and makes you think. And, um, so yeah, that's my sense. So here's, again, we have, you know, physical animals, great big giant, uh, orcas, the sacred animal in the, in that tribe. And they were, they were performing a role. They were, they were doing exactly, I just, I just sort of picture the, you know, when, uh, like some scene out of Cleopatra, when the, when the, uh, you know, she, she's enters the, the gates of, uh, of Rome, you know, that there's, that there's trumpet players. And that's in a way that was what I, you know, see those orcas as, is, you know, you know, escorting their, you know, something sacred back to their homeland. And now let's talk about something that's less physical, but still something that people physically experience this, the UFO experience where a lot of times people want to say, no, this is all in your mind. But a lot of the folks that have these experiences have these flesh and blood experiences in the world. Yes, and then it gets blurry because some of them like feel like dream-like experiences, and you know my sense is, 
you know, having talked to a lot of people and having kind of struggled with some of my own memories, that some of these things might not be physical at all. You know, some of them might play out as nothing more than a projected virtual reality scenario. Um, uh, that doesn't mean that that virtual reality scenario can't have power and can't influence the observer. But, you know, I feel strongly some of them are physical and some of them are in some other mystical realm. Um, picking apart which may be which is folly because you'll go crazy going down that. All you can do is sort of look at, you know, look at the whole big, you know, messy soup and try to try to make sense of that. And why owls are connected. You know, one, th- one way to look at it is, is um, if the owl is the totem of the transformational process, right? They show up at death, right? That's the ultimate transformation. They show up when people meditate. They show up when uh, shamans are going through their, their initiation rites, which I find fascinating when you compare that to um, the UFO contact experience. Owls are showing up at the UFO contact experience. Owls are showing up when shamans go through their initiation rites. Uh, I talked to one woman and she channeled, she actually channeled. And one of the things she said, and she was very clear about it, she said she was channeling the spirit of the owls, the UFO experiencer. And, um, and she said something very wise that she said owls are here to announce initiation on an archetypal level and if she was like making it up man that was a pretty strong clear statement to come out of you know her own mind but um yes so that so that the ufo contact experience for reasons i do not understand and can only speculate about is is it's not 100% of the people, obviously, but it's enough that there's a very clear pattern that owls are showing up, and these are real owls that are showing up in their lives, often at wildly prescient moments. <laughs> and then, But then what do you make of the owl at both the Pentagon and Bohemian Grove, which kind of is a, another side to this? Well, you know, the, the oh my gosh, just try to go try to Google and research, get a, get a couple books on Bohemian Grove. And let me tell you, it's about, it's like, you're going to like, you know, they're drinking babies' bloods and, you know, and they're, they're, you know, uh, demons are welling up out of the, 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 you know, becoming, you know, showing up in reality. I don't know what to make of Bohemian Grove. What I can say is that very rich and powerful men are going to Bohemian Grove as a in in a um, in a group in a very clubby chummy sort of group. Why that might be, you know, like that that you know the you don't have, it's it's um you know most presidential candidates before they become president. I mean, excuse me, most people bef- well 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 before they become you know uh, run for office, presidential they'll, they'll they'll show up at Bohemian Grove somehow or another. So I don't know. Are these the, the 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 chess players? I mean, are these the 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 chess masters? You know, playing with our with with human history. The the folks Bohemian Grove. Why the owl is there? You know, honestly, the the, the there's a club right in downtown San Francisco, the Bohemian Grove Club, the Bohemian Club, and um, it uh, right on the outside they have a image of an owl, and it said, um, "Weaving spiders come not here." And that's a straight-up reference to a myth that involves Athena. So that's a complete reference to Athena, the goddess of uh, wisdom, as well as the goddess of war and mathematics and um, industry. Uh, so, yeah, so they're making a, they're making a straight-up reference to to the Greek goddess Athena. 
And then the hot dog stand in the middle of the Pentagon, I think that's just funny to me. <laughs> I don't know. That just seems really – there's a hot dog stand in the middle of – so so you uh, – the Pentagon is a Pentagon-shaped building, right? Great big giant Pentagon-shaped building. And there's, you know, there's plenty of – you know, we have Pentagon – or pentagrams on our on our American flag, you know. And then, you know, but there's also a sinister reference to it. But the man – there's a lot of, you know, stars. You can't – the pentagram is just a five-pointed star. And within the Pentagon, there's a courtyard in the center, also Pentagon-shaped. And within that courtyard is a little building, also Pentagon-shaped, that's exactly aligned to the center. At the very center of the wheel, the little axle point on the top of that little building in the courtyard in the Pentagon is an owl, a little wooden owl on top of this. And the, 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 the what's, what's shared publicly is that the owl, it's a little wooden owl, and it's put there to ward off the pigeons. Fair enough. That happens. I mean, people put those on their, you know, garage and stuff like that to keep birds away. Um, but it is just so perfect, right? This symbol of the goddess of war, you know, there she, there's this sim- symbolic archetypal image right at the core of the, you know, the United States military industrial fortress there. Mm. As you were talking about, uh, there was there was a touch earlier in the in the in the realm of virtual reality and i think when when you were talking to dr kirby surprise there's this idea of creating the synchronicities that you so self manifesting the owls your the messages and the messengers themselves and philip k dick played with this a little bit the, with the idea that our reality is less real than we understand i wonder how far you go there and, and in terms of what these UFO experiences represent as well. Well, I mean, Kirby Surprise is a great... Have you had him as a guest ever? No. Oh, you have to. You have to. Yeah, okay. just call him up. He's a, he's an amazing thinker. He's... I mean, I just felt like I was, you know, like the initiate of the seat of the guru or something like that. It was... A, when I had a couple long conversations with him, I recorded one of them. I am so glad I did. I just got such gems out of it. Um, yeah, really, really wise guy. Smart thinker. Um, and he, in his book, he has a book called Synchronicity, he postulates that um, human intention sometimes subconscious human intention can manifest, can change reality. You do an experiment, right? You have a scientific experiment. These have been done and they're repeatable. You have, you know, people doing a hundred coin tosses and they're trying to get heads more than tails. It should be random. It should be completely a random number. You, you know, do this with a thousand people. You get a thousand things. You put them into the computer, chugs it out, random, right? But that's not what happens. They are getting, it is significantly, it is non-random in a measurable degree. In, in the in the in the form of their intention they are achieving their desired effect where they are getting more heads and tails um, it goes with you know coin tosses picking cards you know all kinds of things they all come up with the same conclusion that we are capable it's a small degree but we are capable of influencing reality and his sense is that that we are capable of influencing all reality. I mean, a, a coin toss in a laboratory is one thing. You know, the real world with all the influences bombarding us that we can um, we can impact reality. So that was one of the things. I was like pretty freaking shook up at the time that I talked to him and struggling with this stuff. And I said, you know, listen, like I'm 
overwhelmed. Like I'm, you know, researching UFOs and owls and, and I'm just getting these synchronicities that are so powerful. It's leaving me really unsettled. It's, it's distressing. And he said, listen, you are, you are digging into two of the most powerful, highly charged totems, the owl and the UFO. And you are putting a lot of energy. You're focusing on it. You are focusing your energy and intention on that. And there is every reason that it should be welling up. That's normal that you you put a lot of attention to something and these synchronicities well up. Um, he is someone, yeah, he was, he was, and then on, it's just like the, to tell the story properly, you know, like I, I heard him on a podcast and I was like, oh my God, I got to ask this guy a question because my sense is that UFO abductees have synchronicities at a higher level of, of than, than the average population. And he, you know, so I sent him a letter and, and said that in essence, like, here's what I'm finding. I'm finding that UFO abductees are having more synchronicities. You know, like I just, I would love to have a short conversation with you. And, um, and he got back to me and said, listen, um, you know, from my experience with UFO contact, my, from my own personal experiences with UFO contact, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not like that. So, you know, what you should, and so I'm like, what, what, what? So I got back to him right away. What do you mean? You're on, you, you're, you're just proving my point. You, you're, you wrote a book about synchronicity and you're saying, you know, UFO contact. And he said, read my book, get back to me and we'll talk. So I read his book and on page, I don't know, like 214 or something. I'm making that up, but I just turned the page and he said, so he's talking about manifesting synchronicities. So you could just ask. To, to have synchronicities be, synchronicities be created. He called them SEs, synchronistic experiences. You can have SEs. You can just generate them yourselves. And he said, what I like to do is manifest owls. And and when he said that, I was like, oh my God, like, it felt like the trap door opened out from under me. And I'm like, this like, guy's like, proving everything I'm already experiencing. And, and um, so yeah, so that, that chapter is wonderful. And it was, I feel really, I very cautious how I talk about him and his experiences because, um, and then I will also say that, you know, yes, he said he had UFO contact. It's very subtle. It's very nuanced. He's a very smart guy. He's not easily led astray. So he he explains it in the book better than I would here. But he he went through a point where he was he was one of those folks that could go out in the field and say, um, as a young man, and say, you know, like, oh, there's going to be a, you know a UFO over in that corner of the sky, and then boom, like a little a little light would appear. That's actually pretty common among UFO abductees. I've talked to a lot of people who've done that, and I've been with them as they do it. Um, now, so he, like, basically I said, listen, if I write this the way I want to write this, I'm going to out you. And he kind of said, you know, I don't know. I'm old now. I got my tenure. Like, what do I care? You know, like, and I said, be, he asked, I think he asked, like, just let me approve the text. So I sent him the chapter, and he approved it, and it's, it's, um, I think it's an amazing chapter. Not many people ask about it in these podcasts. When I contacted you, you mentioned that you had recorded as a audio version some of the some of the material from the book uh, last winter as a exercise. I was trying to do an audio version of Carl Jung's Synchronicity because there isn't an audio version of that. And what normal people don't realize is how much work trying to turn a book into an audio book is. I'm I'm curious how well your your own endeavor towards that is is going. Well, it's not going at all right now, and the reason is is that I I um and I heard you at the beginning, and I was like, oh, this he sounds like me, you know, because you, you it's hard, you struggle, you miss one word, you miss the nuance. What I have gotten very good at, I did a podcast series for I haven't done it in about three years now, but I did it religiously, you know, a few a month for. 
I don't know, seven years. And, and what it did was I got very good at editing, I especially got good at editing my own voice. So when I did, when I read that stuff aloud, believe me, man, I had, I took me 15 minutes to read it and four hours to edit it. So, exactly. Right. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So it's not as easy as like my, basically like I want to do it. And my hope is that once I get a few chapters in, I'll, I'll, my, my reading aloud skills, but that's something I've always been bad at is reading aloud. Yeah. So it's not easy. Well, so then, I mean, the people who do it are, and can, I think are blessed with a skill and it's just, it's, I'm in awe. In terms of plans of the messengers becoming an audio book, that's as far as it is at this point. There is plans. I haven't done anything about it. I'm working on a follow-up book right now and I cannot do anything until I'm done with that follow-up book. Okay. Well, that was, that's the follow-up question. So you have, this growing database of, uh, and you mentioned that this is not an objective research study, it's subjective. You're mapping your own interior world and you're utilizing other people's stories for your own personal understanding of what you're experiencing on some level. I'm just wondering, where do you go? Well, I mean, one, I'm worried, I just want to be careful not to retread the same, you know, just walk on the treadmill and give the same talk and give the same answers and, and not try to grow as a researcher. Um, but, um, you know, this book is what well, the problem with the, the messengers was, I mean, there's a lot of accounts in there and every single one of those accounts, you know, you talk to these people and you, and man, there's like a freaking novel that's like unwritten that they're sharing with you. And all I do is cherry pick the one little kernel about the owl. And then, and then that's what I, you know, that's what I boil down and boil down and boil down. And that was the process of the book was just like, no, I got to make it shorter. The book can't, but can't be a, it's already a 400 page book. I can't, you know, like I had to snip out so much amazing material. So there's just a series of stories where I want to, I want to, you know, each one of the individuals in these accounts has an owl experience or several. And I just wanted to, tell their story more completely because it just made me crazy that I had to edit out so much. So it's going to read us like a book. It's going to be about 15 or 16 accounts and it should read like a book of short stories where people share their experiences. In terms of writing, you do a really nice job of moving back and forth between your experience, telling other people's stories in your words and then using quotes for, for their words. I'm wondering how difficult did this book just flow out of you as, you know, so you mentioned the Genesis, you wrote a long essay piece on your blog that really got a lot of attention and then it became the book. I'm just wondering, was this, it, it feels uh, oftentimes an individual can sense that, the, oh, this is, this feels easy, you know, like there's just a freeness to it or. What? Well, it was hard work, man. It was hard work and I worked with an editor and, and, and I was, you know, there's a, I mean, I just, you know, I did the dumbest thing possible, which I've talked to other writers and they're like, oh, don't do that. They would like, so I just started writing. I'm like, great. I got this idea for a book. I'm just going to start writing. And I started writing and, and I had done a lot of blog posts about this stuff. And, um, so I had like this kind of, you know, foundation and then the, the actual, um, essay that, that was posted online. Um, it's interesting. The essay is about 38 pages long. Uh, with big text. So it's a little, that's a little bit cheating. It's probably less than that. But, um, and then the book is like 390 pages. So the, the essay is about 10% of the overall book. So I just multiplied that by 
10 and then the book appeared in a way that's a, that's oversimplification obviously but but i had to really grit my teeth and really really you know you know what i had is i had this crazy long giant spreadsheet and I would say, like, okay, Owls and Dreams. Okay, here's the here's a plug in this, I'll plug in that. And like, oh gosh, wait a minute, I forgot about this one here, this one. Ooh, it doesn't quite fit. So my God, if I put this one before that one, I've got to mention this first because it gets and that was just and I did the whole thing where every little subchapter and little sections within the subchapter was done on a spreadsheet. And then I could kind of I could kind of go through it that way. So yeah, it was it was a lot of work. So if, thank you so much. It's a great to know that it reads like it 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 felt easy but um and then at the same time i will say that the research was easy the actual writing of it was i had to grit my teeth the research was easy because i just got up in the morning and checked my email inbox and and then i was like that was my resource i never had to go to like some archive or library or anything like that do you have any sense of when this newer work may be arriving Oh my God, I want it out so bad. I'm getting close. Uh, I've been, I thought of when I you know, finish the one book, I'm like, oh, I'll crank this thing out in a few months. And it's been a year and a few months now. And I still, I'm, I'm very close to being done. Let me put it that way. So knock wood within a few months. Well, that was 42 Minutes. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Great. Thank you. You've been listening to Mike Clellan on 42 Minutes, a production of SyncBook Radio and thesyncbook.com. For more information about his work, visit hiddenexperience.blogspot.com. For more information about the SyncBook, our guests, or check out past shows, or to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at thesyncbook.com. If you like this podcast and would like more, consider becoming a SyncBooks Plus member. Some of the membership benefits include full access to the complete, ar- the complete audio archive, discounts on books, behind-the-scenes scripts, bonus audio and video, as well as seasonal online hangouts with the hosts. All this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com slash membership. Thanks so much, and when someone is deeply asleep, whispering won't wake them. Sometimes you really have to shake them. If that doesn't work, send in the owls. Mm-hmm.